0: This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. How many of you uh, did that crazy thing and did some shopping on Friday, Black Friday? Went to the mall. You, how many went to the mall? Yeah, just crazy people in this place. I don't, I, 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 man, I just, I just don't do that. I don't, I don't go out Black Friday shopping. I don't go to these places just because I, I'm, I'm the kind of person when I shop, I go, I, I know exactly what I'm going to get. I go in, grab it. I'm out of the store, like in five minutes, you know, I go with my wife and she says she knows exactly what she's going to get, but we We wander around and wander around for a couple of hours and sometimes even walk out without anything in our hands at all, you know, and so, but I understand the whole Black Friday thing because it's not just about economics. I know it's, it is a lot about economics, but I think a lot of it too is that there's this excitement, there's this anticipation for Christmas. How many of you are excited about Christmas coming? Wow, you guys are just such a lively bunch. I'm uh, so excited. We're, Christmas is just the most awesomest time, time, right? That's how you feel? It doesn't sound like it, but anyways. But that's what Christmas does it brings excitement, it brings anticipation, especially right after Thanksgiving. We begin to think about the Christmas holidays and we begin to plan. And probably, some of you probably have been planning for a while now. It's this time of inc- excitement and anticipation that we just like to build up to. Um, we even have these things, these countdown calendars. You ever, anybody, anybody has those countdown calendars? You put them up. I had this family f- friend of ours that they used to have, uh, like a really magnificent one, like a big gigantic one made out of wood, and it would they would set it up, you know, and they have these old doors that would slide open, you know, and it was a countdown to, to, uh, to, uh, to when Christmas Day was going to happen. <clears throat> this, my mom tried that once with our family. I'm the oldest of five boys, you know, and my my mom, single mom, tried to do this whole countdown calendar thing, you know, what was interesting was, can you imagine the reaction of a six-year-old who just is now figuring out how long a day is, like a day? Like, you know, you talk to six-year-olds, and they're like, okay, uh, tomorrow you get this, and they're like, when's tomorrow? And you're like, well, you have to go to bed tonight, and they wake up tomorrow morning, and then that's tomorrow, and they're like, oh, and they're just learning to figure it out, and then your mom comes and unveils this Christmas countdown says, hey guys, just 25 more days till Christmas. My my, my six-year-old brother's like, what? It's so long. I'm going to be old by then. That's how he feels because he just, concept of a day is just some, one of these things that he didn't catch, you know. We, as kids, I mean, we couldn't wait till Christmas would come. I mean, we were just waiting and anticipating and knowing that we had asked our parents about gifts and what we wanted and all that kind of stuff in fact my brothers and i we would we would like conspire against our parents so five of us so i would you know norman my youngest brother you know i'd say hey norman all right you go hang out on the street look out for mom and dad okay jaime you get the left flank Alan, you get the right flank. Jerry and I, two oldest ones, we would, like, with engineering precision, we'd get into those gifts, and we'd kind of peel back, you know, and try to figure out what's inside, what boxes were in there, what kind of gifts were we getting, you know? Oftentimes, a little bit, we were a little bit puzzled because we had asked for, like, this ultra-mega Hot Wheels track set, you know, that was this gigantic box. We knew it was this gigantic box, but there was no gigantic boxes under the tree. And, uh, you know, in Panama, you don't have basements, and you don't have attics nowhere to put that stuff. And so you're like, where is it? I'd go to my neighbor and say, hey, did my did my parents leave anything here at your house for us? You know, and like, I mean we were desperate. We were just so excited about Christmas. So anticipating Christmas. And I think many of us, many of us are always there. We're just excited about Christ, the Christmas season. Well the interesting thing, thing about this excitement is that this this same excitement, this same anticipation, is the very same dynamic that existed during that first Christmas. You see, for generations, there was a remnant of people who were waiting and anticipating not the coming of Santa Claus, but the coming of a Messiah. They were waiting for, for the you know the gifts of deliverance and freedom and all of these things to be be able to open these gifts, to be able to experience freedom like they'd never experienced before. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And unlike our Christmas experience where we know that in 25 days we're gonna be able to open gifts under the tree, many of them waited an entire lifetime for the Messiah to come. And he didn't come. They anticipated this They were looking for it. Many of those people who waited and waited finally started losing hope because they would hear stories of the coming of the Messiah, but years and years had passed. They would hear these stories and finally they started writing it off as fairy tales. Maybe that's not even true anymore. We don't even believe that he's coming. They had lost hope in the coming of the Messiah. But there were some who never gave up hope. We're going to introduce you to a couple of them in this series. We're in this series called The Light Has Come. It's this idea that too many of us have lived in the darkness of despair and hopelessness, struggling with life. But one day Jesus came, the light came into this world, and our hopelessness, our darkness, our despair was dispersed. And some of you understand what what I'm talking about. Some of you understand what it was like to be in one life when you met Jesus a life of darkness, a life of hopelessness, a life of God. Where are you, God? What are you doing with my life? To when coming, to, coming to, to a relationship with Jesus Christ, suddenly things completely change. And now you have peace, you have joy, you have hope again. So this is where we're going to be going this, in this season as we kick off this series, The light Has Come. Today I want to introduce you to two people who live this life of hope and anticipation in the coming of the Messiah. And it's my prayer that today you and I can walk out of here with a renewed sense of hope. I'm not sure, you know, we gather a lot of people around here and I'm not always sure where you are in your journey. I'm not always sure that you are in a place where you're thriving, where you feel, you know, full and where you feel peace, you feel hope, you feel excitement. I'm not sure. Oftentimes the the cares of this world are so heavy upon us that that we kind of lose perspective, and so again, it's my hope that you will leave this morning with a renewed sense of hope, and that Jesus Christ has come, and that God can change your story. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter one, but let me tell you why we're going to be looking at this passage, and why it's so important for for us today. Because some point in your journey, maybe it's already happened, it's going to feel like God is distant. It's going to feel like God is not speaking. It's going to feel like, God, have you abandoned me? It's going to feel like, God, where are you? It's, it, I, I'm serving you. I'm following you. Why, why is this happening to me? You might even ask yourself, why, why serve? Why give? Why, why you know obey what's written in the scripture? Why do any of this stuff? It feels, God, like you're so far away. You're so distant. And so if that's you, if that's where you are right now, then the Christmas story is for you. God wants to speak to us through this Christmas story as we look at these two characters. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, this is the same Herod who had all the babies killed after the birth of Christ. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Basically, both of them were preacher's kids or, you know, kids of priests. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Luke tells us, he takes specific interest in telling us that, that Zachariah and Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God. That they were obedient. When it comes to obedient, they were all in with God. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now get this. They were doing their priestly duty based on promises that were given thousands of years ago. Thousands of years ago. And yet for the past 500 or so years, it felt like God was absent. In fact, the intertestamental period, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, what they call the intertestamental period, there's a 400-year period there uh, where they, they call it the silent years, it felt like God was absent. God was not speaking. God was not moving. God was not doing anything. Yet, Zachariah and Elizabeth, day after they stayed faithful to God, they kept getting up every morning and serving him and living for him and doing what they had to do. And so it begs the question, okay, you're not hearing God. You know it. You know it's true because you've seen it written. You know that the promises have been given, but you're not hearing. You're not feeling it. How is that working for you to be faithful to God? And yet, when you're not hearing it, this is what what how it worked for them. Verse seven. So, it's verse six it says they obey, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Verse seven. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. So, Zach and Elizabeth they have been serving God faithfully serving God faithfully, and yet the one thing that they wanted was a child they did not get. Now, in this culture, that was always the woman's fault. It's not true, but that's what they believed, that somehow or another something was wrong and that God had cursed them, God had not blessed them with a child. It was God that was with- withholding them from having children. It was, it was her fault somehow or another. So she was living with this shame and this guilt of not being able to do the one thing that she could do to contribute to the family, which was to give, give Zechariah a child. And then this is how this verse ends. They, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they both were very old. I think Luke is trying to tell us a story here. Luke is trying to paint a picture of finality, of hopelessness. They're just old. In other words, here's what Luke's saying it's just over, it's too late. And I wonder how many of us come to this place where we look at our circumstances and we look at the the difficulties that we're facing in our life, the challenges that we're facing, the prayers that we've prayed, and we say to ourselves, just like them, it's over, it's too late. Elizabeth had to live all of these years with the pain and shame of being childless. And maybe this is a sentiment that you feel, not about being childless necessarily, maybe that's true, but this sentiment of, God, I've, I'm trying to follow you, God, I'm trying to serve you, God, I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to be faithful, why aren't you fixing my marriage? God, God I'm, I'm trying so hard to live for you. i am raising my kids the way you want me to raise them. And yet, God, why, why are they making some of the choices that they're making in life? You might feel just like they felt. And if that's true, then this is your story. Christmas is our story. Here's what's so crazy about this. Their entire faithfulness to God was built upon promises that were given to Abraham 2,000 years before. That God was going to use the people of Israel to bless the entire world. The the children of Abraham to bless the entire world. That there was this global perspective. There was this destiny for the Jewish people that was global in scope. There were times in their history that this might have been possible. If you look at the history of the Jewish people. But after Solomon, all the way to the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, it just didn't seem possible anymore. During that period of time, the Israelites were taken over 25 different times. They were, they were conquered by the Persians, by the Greeks, by the Syrians, by the Babylonians. Was, they had lost any semblance of a global presence. I mean, they didn't even have an army. And so these prophecies that of that that one day the Messiah would come and they would have this global significance just seem so far out there, so impossible. In fact, there was just not a chance that this would ever happen. And then in 65 BC, kind of to add injury to insult or insult to injury, the general Pompey, Roman general, famous Roman general Pompey, they had uh, captured the city of Jerusalem. And Pompey walks into the temple area. He walks past the guards. He walks past the priests. And he goes into the Holy of Holies. A place that was reserved only for the high priest and doing, you know, the stuff that the high priest in fact historically anybody who would enter into the Holy of Holies in an unworthy fashion would drop dead instantly. And here Pompey walks into the Holy of Holies, stands around, looks around, unimpressed, and walks out. And here's a message Jupiter, the God of the Romans, must be greater than Yahweh, the God of Israel. I mean, if there was any sense of hope, it was gone. It was dashed. Zechariah was a little boy then. His father was a priest in a temple. Can you imagine Zechariah's father coming home, ripping his clothes off, frustrated that the temple had been desecrated, that the Holy of Holies had been desecrated? And yet, here's what we see about Zachariah. This is why I'm talking about hope, being hopeful in times when it seems like there is no hope. Zachariah, with all of this in his background, he still enters into the priesthood. He still gets up every single day to worship God and anticipate the coming of the Messiah. When everything around him was saying, hey, give up, dude. Stop having hope. This is not ever going to happen. Forget it. Let it go. And yet, Zachariah remained faithful all the way to the very end. You see, the reason Luke begins with this story is because this is the beginning of a brand new story. And guys, I've been praying for you. I pray for my own family this way. That there would be this inbreaking of God in our lives that starts a new story. I don't know where you are. You might be on this path and you're going down this path and you feel like you can't help it. This is the path you're on. This is not what you want to be doing. This is not where you want to be going. But you're on this path and you need God's intervention. You need God to break into your story and change some directions in your life. And that's really what the Christmas story is all about. That in the middle of hopelessness, God steps in and he starts rewriting our story. So what does that mean for you and I? Sometimes we w- will wonder, God, are you there? Do you even care? And the Christmas story reminds us that God does care. God is present. Verse 8. So here's uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They've been praying for years, praying for years that God would do something for them, give them a child. They're faithfully serving God even though the surroundings, everything around them says, hey, there's no reason to serve God. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he's a priest and his group, there's 23 groups of priests, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So it would cast lots to decide who would, who would be chosen, who would be the one who would go and offer the sacrifices, who would go in and burn incense, who would go in and offer the prayers, and so it fell on, on Zechariah. And this is like a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There were so many priests, and when they would cast lots, not everybody would get an opportunity. Sometimes they would all their life wait to be able to go into the temple and offer sacrifices. Verse 10. When the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Zacharias is inside alone. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So Zacharias is in there. He's doing his thing. When an angel appears to him. I like how Zechariah responds. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This is kind of like the standard response to seeing angels, right? When an angel appears, when you are supposed to be by yourself and an angel appears to you, then it's natural to be startled. And so this angel, you know, he's probably like, okay, Gabriel is like, okay, let me just calm this guy down. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, it's me. Like, I'm the good guy. Don't worry, you don't have to be afraid. It's funny, because I hear stories, sometimes I've heard stories, and I'm not saying these aren't true, but I've heard stories of people that have these angelic visitations, you know, they talk about these angelic visitations, like, oh, it was so peaceful, he just appeared to me, and... And I just felt such ease and all that. I'm like, was that a Bible angel? Because most of the time when Bible angels show up, they're terrified. They're like freaking out, you know, that the angel has to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm being sent by God. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. But verse 13, this is what the angel says to to Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. How many of you need to hear that from God today? Your prayer has been heard. I know I do. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. This John is going to be a famous John. John the the Baptist, exactly. Verse 14. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back, and this is very important, this is why God is doing this, right? Because what, what, what's happened? What is, what is John going to bring back? See, many people had lost hope. Many people turned their back on God. Many people say, hey, we don't even believe that the Messiah is coming anymore. Look at our desperate situation. This is what John's going to do. He's going to bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. The angel tells Zechariah, your son has an important mission to play in my in my story that I'm that I'm that I'm creating that I'm writing. And then Zechariah responds very diplomatically. Zachariah asks the angel, How can I be sure of this? Like you're telling me something and then he goes on, I am an old man and my wife is well along in even back then they were like had to be careful what you said about your wife, right? He didn't say my wife is old, my wife is well along in years. <clears throat> Here's what saying, saying, Look, I'm with you with the answered prayer and all, but guess what, God? You're too late. I'm old. There's no way this is going to happen. And here's what the angel says. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. I mean, I have this mental image of how that conversation was going. It's like, dude, I'm an angel standing right here talking to you right now. How can you disbelieve what I just said? I mean, I know people. He says, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the uh, day this happens because you did not believe my words. And I love this part, which will come true at their appointed time. I think that's something that we need to hear. I don't know what your prayers of desperation are right now. I don't know what it is that you're trying to grapple with and understand, God, why do you feel so distant? Why are you not answering my prayers? Why, God, aren't you intervening? See, right here in this story, what we get is that that God had this marked on his calendar all along. That all these years that that Elizabeth and Zachary have been praying, God, we want a son, we want a child, we want a child, give us a child, open my barren womb, all these years that they were praying that, that God had this appointed time, this moment in which this was going to happen, that this didn't catch God by surprise. And so how do we live? How do we stay faithful through that? That's really what this story is all about. This story tells us that God is at work. He is at work in our history. He's at work in your life right now. Verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. I mean, it's a pretty short ceremony. You light some incense and you offer some prayers. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them like charades, you know, first ever recorded charades you know, all that stuff, whatever he was doing, making signs, and be, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So right here, we have the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, a story of hope deferred, a story of of, of people who, have, who, who wanted God to do something for them and yet they felt like God was silent all of these years and suddenly God comes through. And a lot later than they expected. And you know what's so cool about this story? That this is really just the opening act. Because really this introduces another story. This is the concert before the concert. Because there's another story coming about. Here, what God is saying emphatically to them is that I'm still in control. And God is saying emphatically to you this morning, I'm still in control. You might think I'm not here. You You might think that I'm not listening to you. You might think that I'm ignoring your prayers, but I am still here. I'm still at work. I'm moving and orchestrating things. Here's how this story concludes and and how the next story begins. Verse 26. In the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So this is the introduction to the other story. All of our lives, guys... Our stories that God is writing. He is. He's writing your story. He's writing my story. Sometimes in that story, there are, there are motions and movements that take us places that we don't expect them to go. Sometimes it's desperate prayers for God to come through and save a marriage. that just seems I've been struggling for years and years and years. Sometimes it's a story of praying for your children because they're not making the choices that you want them to make. And it's just years passing and years passing. Sometimes it's God, help me deal with the, the abuse and the, the trauma of my childhood and the home that I grew up in. See, God's writing this story. And wherever you are right now, where you might feel disconnected, you might feel like, God, you're distant, you need to understand something. God is writing your story and there is an appointed time that he is hearing your prayers. So this is our story. It's also our dilemma. Do we hold on or do we let go? Do we believe or do we stop believing? Do we serve or do we start just living lives for ourselves? Do we stay in that difficult marriage or do we do what everybody else is doing? It's a matter of understanding that God is at work see, throughout history, there's always been a remnant of people who have held on to hope. And I'm challenging you, I'm calling you this morning to hold on to hope. To hold on to hope. Will you be that unique teenager that chooses not to go with a trend and instead of blaze your own path serving God? Will you be that unique person who says hey I know that the world says this is the way you should do it and maybe compromise a little bit over here but instead of doing that I'm just going to stay faithful to God in the workplace I'm not going to cave into corporate pressure I'm not going to cave into culture I'm not going to cave into society instead I'm going to stay faithful to God will you be that unique husband and wife who looks at your vows your wedding vows and say we're going to hold on to those we're not going to let go of them despite what the world does we're not going to do that you see, the story of Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. Your faith in God is not misplaced, even though it might feel like, "God, why aren't you answering my prayers? God, why aren't you coming through?" So what impossibility are you facing? Let's just pause there for a second. What impossibility are you facing? I can come up with a list of personal things in my own life that I'm not going to necessarily share. Some of them that relate to my children and things that I've been praying for my own kids. Things that seem impossible. Things that seem like when will it ever change? When will it ever turn around? And the temptation is just to give up. Or to basically standardize it okay I'm not giving up but I'm just kind of putting it on the side and just say I just don't really believe that's going to happen anymore I don't really believe that my children are going to ever really you know live for God or I don't believe that this marriage is ever really going to be rescued so I'll just kind of maintain status quo I don't believe that my financial situation will ever change so I'm just going to kind of like be in neutral here It's choices that we have in front of us. Christmas is this constant reminder that even when everything seems to be falling apart, when your life seems to be surrounded by darkness, the light has come. The light has come. And it might seem right now like right now it's just this you're in this tunnel and it's this distant little speck in the you know way over there in the horizon. That's what it might seem like. But the light has come. And if you stay faithful and you, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, say, God, we just, we don't know. It does feel like you're not talking to us, but God, we're going to stay doing exactly what you've called us to do. You will know. You will eventually receive what you've been praying for. The light has come. Let's all stand. We're going to pray and worship here in a second. What I'd like to challenge us on this morning <clears throat> I already have really in many ways is to stop and pause for a second like literally that's what we're going to do right now and we're going to ask ourselves just a very simple question God what is the thing in my life right now that I've really been wanting you to intervene on maybe it's a wayward son maybe it's choices that you made in the past that seem to just not let go of you and they're just following you everywhere you go and it seems like they're always and you're just evading you're just doing this and then it catches up to you and it goes do this over here and it catches up to you and you just go, and so you're, you feel like you're just always playing defense maybe there's some of you in this room right now that your marriage is you've been struggling Maybe you've been contemplating just quitting altogether and say, I'm done with this. I don't know what it is. The story of Christmas is about hope, renewed hope that he wants to give all of us. And for us to step into it and say, God, I'm going to keep believing you. My circumstances don't, don't dictate what I believe. You dictate what I believe. And so I want to pray right now, and as I pray, what I'm going to ask you to do is you con- contemplate what is the impossibility that you might be facing, the challenge that you might be facing, the one prayer that you have for your own life that you, God, you just need to c- come through on that. As I'm praying, what I'm going to ask you to do simply say, God, just, I give this to you. I surrender to you. Father, I choose to believe that it's not done. The story's not over. You are still writing my story. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives. God, we choose right now, we choose to believe that you are still writing our story. Our story is not done. It hasn't been completed. It's not final yet, God. You are still working on our behalf. Our faith in you is not misplaced. So today, Father, I pray, God, that you will raise up faith within us, Lord God renewed hope, renewed vision, that Jesus, you came into this world to disperse the darkness. So whatever darkness there is in our lives, whatever hopelessness there is in our lives, whatever sense of of lostness there is in our lives, Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we, we command it to go, Father. We ask, God, that you would fill that void, fill that emptiness with hope and expectation of what you want to do in our lives, much like that first Christmas. Much like Zach Zach Zachariah and Elizabeth, today, Father, we simply surrender to you. We choose to trust. We choose to hope. We choose to believe.